Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 265, Ghost Nation. We're talking with Jason Hawes from the new TV show Ghost Nation. You guys all know him as the founder of the Atlantic Paranormal Society and the original Ghost Hunter. Talking to Jason, how you doing today? Good, good. How are you? Fantastic. Excited about your new show premiering October 11th. 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on the Travel Channel. And this is part of the Ghosttober event, right? Well, this is. This is. And we're really excited, too, because we're able to honestly get back to the basics and the roots of uh, what, why we do what we, we've always done. And I think that's important. So we're able to get in there and, and help out families. But also, this show is very different from the shows we've done in the past because you're able to see the investigation from the beginning all the way through where we're going in, we're trying to do the historical research. We're trying to figure out fact or what, what's actually fact that the, the homeowner knows about the property and what's incorrect information. And we're trying to help them out just 100%. And uh, it's great. Honestly, we're, we've been having a blast. Fantastic. And it's, it's you and Dave Tango and Steve Gonzalez, right? That's correct. Yeah. And, and Steve's been with me for a long, long time. Um, I mean, geez, I've known Steve, Steve longer than I've known Grant. So uh, it's it. And, and we've still even when I stopped doing my my other show, we still investigated the claims of the paranormal. We did it long before TV. We'll do it long after. And we took a couple of years off. My kids were still young at that point and everything else. And now now I felt eh, it was time for us to uh, to get back into it. Well, uh, I tell you, so I, I saw Steve and Dave at the Michigan Paracon this year, and we've seen them out in Minnesota and other places in the Midwest, but Jason, we haven't seen you at a Midwest Paracon. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, for me, it's a little tough to get to the convention and stuff. I used to do them uh, quite a bit a long time ago, but my kid, my sons have, whether it's wrestling matches on the weekends or their football games on the weekends, um, that's usually when that stuff's going on. So I, uh, I would love to get out to conventions and hang out with everybody, but I'd prefer to actually be, a, be at their games and, and their wrestling matches just because I'll never get the, that chance back. All right. I'm not going to guilt you for being a good dad. <laughs> well, it's good because I don't feel the least bit guilty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, there is over 200 episodes of Ghost Hunters. I mean, oh, so yeah. and, and everybody out there has seen at least one. And I want to get into a little bit about because it's not every day you get to talk with someone who created the genre. I mean, it's not just in the uh, like, you know, you didn't come late to the game. You guys basically invented the game. And before we get a little bit of talking about that and then what has changed and where you are with the new show, Ghost Nation, for people that may not understand or know your personal connection to the paranormal and may have you know started watching 100 episodes in and not known what got you interested in the first place, it's a big step to tell the world that, hey, I'm into this stuff. Um, there's something out there. I want to find out about it. And what kind of led you into this world in the first place? 
Well, I had my own personal experience a long time ago when I was uh, about 18, 19 years old. And it's just a personal experience that sort of took took a person who never really thought about the paranormal and led me down a path of trying to understand how these things were real. And to be honest with you, at that time, there really wasn't much information out there. And uh, the web, the, the Internet was really just starting to, to come to age. And even when that was at its, uh, even though when that, all those stuff were popping up out there, so much information was just <laughs> a piece of dust is a ghost and right. and a bug a bug on a camera is a ghost and so it drove me crazy and i've always been one of those people where I'm a problem solver. I like to get in and truly figure out what what's going on. Um, so from there, I just started investigating myself, getting out and looking for the real answers. Because it's not that I don't want to take anybody's word on something, but I want to be able to find my own path and and figure things out for myself. Because I th- I think that's just I think that's the way everybody should be. And uh, so what what was your personal experience like what you know did you see did you see a ghost did you hear something did someone come to you in a dream like what this is um I mean, besides your family and stuff like that, I think most people think of a lot of this as your life's work. And so that's a big step. So what was that thing that happened that moved you towards this whole thing? Well, my own personal experience was that I did I did see something. I, I had gotten sick for a while, and and I don't want to get into all the details of that, but I did see something off of that. And uh, and I just – I something that I never thought would have really been possible. I did see what I believed to be an apparition. And uh, again, it was one of those things where you, you wonder, are, are you going crazy or did you really – really just have this experience. So you start looking for those answers. And that really thrusted me into the field. And to be honest, from there, it just, it became a thing where we were looking so much for answers, but, and we created this little website, which perfect, perfect at the time, because it became the top hit uh, paranormal website in the world. But so many other people out there were looking for answers as well. And so we would go and try to help them out in hopes of also figuring out our experiences. And so it just led to one thing after another. And next thing you know, we were, we were investigating pretty much nonstop. I mean, last year alone, the TAPS website had somewhere around the vicinity of 70 plus million visitors. So you guys, based on the East Coast, you have the uh, advantage of houses that might be 250 years old or 300 <laughs> yes, we- years old. And, you know, so you have that extra layer of history that a lot of us like in the midwest maybe we have a house that's 100 years old like oh that's a really old place or in california it might be 60 years old and like that's really stretching it but you guys have stuff that can go back to the oh you know the 18th century when people built places and do you think that uh some of your maybe proximity to that kind of history has helped the amount of cases or paranormal activity in the area well, of course, a place with more history has more potential to have paranormal activity. And a place like New England, where we had everything from the the Salem witch trials down to uh, the mass, well, the Indian massacres and things of things like that. Let alone New Englanders. I mean, people first came here; they weren't prepared for the winters, and uh, so you had people freezing and starving to death. And and it was a very common thing, especially back then. Um, so, of course, there's much more potential to have some sort of paranormal activity around around these areas. And it's definitely kept us busy. I mean, we've when we started off, we were originally Rhode Island Paranormal Society, and it was a small little group. But quickly, we realized that we were handling cases that would go from uh, Maine all the way down uh, to Florida. And uh, so we tried to start 
well, then we changed our name to the Atlantic Paranormal Society. And then from there, we started handling cases all over the world. And that's how we created the ta- the Atlantic, the TAPS family, which is an extension of the Atlantic Paranormal Society, which is groups that pretty much follow our protocol all over the world. We've got 72 uh, other groups in the United States and 14 other countries that work hand in hand with us. And they're just like us. They don't charge. There's no fee uh, to help people out because, you know, the rich, the poor, everybody in between has problems. And if you charge, you can only help those who can afford your services. But also on top of that, how can you charge for something scientifically you can't even prove exists? So that's just not what we've ever been about. It's not about profiting from somebody else's turmoil in their life. You know, as you say, as you expanded and, and the, you, you started just in Rhode Island and then all of a sudden you're, you're hunting all over the East Coast. And then comes a point when, uh, you know, did you get contacted by a television production company or did you guys like start making your own videos? We're like, oh, we should totally have a TV show kind of thing. Because <laughs> when I think about the early 2000s, we had like MTV's Fear and yeah, people. I had helped out on that show. You know, people with the night vision and stuff like that running around. That's pretty fun. And then you have John Edward with a medium talking to dead people or whatever. And so there's medium shows. There's Most Haunted out of England. and there's But there's nothing that focuses on modern paranormal investigation. And all of a sudden, you guys come on and becomes the, I mean, the first show of now, you know, 100 uh, that have, I mean, there's a whole genre based on what you guys started called Paranormal Reality TV. What was the pitch? I mean, how did you, were you approached or uh, did you guys seek it out? That's a great question. Honestly, so we had helped out, on, I, I had helped out behind the scenes, in the scenes, uh, scenes, let's try that again, with MTV Sphere. Um, I had uh, worked on a couple episodes with them. I had helped out um, a couple times with uh, Scariest Places on Earth. I'd helped out with uh, Fox, I mean, uh, Real Scary Stories for Fox Kids and all these shows. I had been asked to do a television show numerous times. We turned it down. We didn't want to be on TV. It was more about just looking for answers. We did a newspaper article. Uh, John Leland from the New York Times had flown out, met us, and met up with us, uh, wanted to investigate with us uh, around the year 2000. And um, so, you know, he came on an investigation with us. And we were able to, over the course of a few days, figure out what was truly going on. It was a mixture of prescription medications that was creating a problem for this this homeowner. And he was there through this whole thing, wrote up a very, very great article on us um, that went out on the wire. It went out on like Halloween day and uh, went out in like 140 other papers. So uh, from there, the phone started ringing nonstop again, people wanting me to do television shows. Um, we met up with a ton of different producers who had all these pitches about you know, being on television and we kept on turning them down. It was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. It wasn't until we met up with Craig Poligian, owner of Pilgrim films, which was a really tiny little company at that time that, uh, he said, well, you know, if you're not, if you don't do it, somebody's going to, and how are they going to represent the field? And that really stuck with me. That was, that was true because that was everything we were trying to get away from was, you know, dust being ghosts and all these other things. So we agreed to, you know, to uh, do uh, 10 episodes with him. Uh, they went out, they talked to a bunch of different networks and we decided to go with sci-fi and uh, the rest is history. I mean, we never thought that the show would, would last more than one season. Who wanted to watch me as a plumber, Steve as a police officer and, and stuff like that and investigating, you know, walking around in the dark. So it was amazing to us that it, it really took off like it did to the point where it was airing in 170 other countries. 
Well, you know, what I think is interesting, too, is that, you know, the first few seasons are also very reality TV style. It's that, like you said, the plumber kind of thing. Like, all right, here's the ghost hunting plumbers or whatever. And so here's your day job and your regular life. And then they show the Bruce Wayne and they show the Batman kind of thing. Yeah. And eventually it seems like people were like, okay, the Bruce Wayne stuff's fine. Or the little drama they tried to do, you know, they tried to big brother it up and stuff like that in the beginning. And then eventually most of the drama stuff gets dropped. And then it all becomes about the investigation. Well, and but the drama was real drama. I mean, we, we had problems with a couple investigators, which uh, were serious issues. And, uh, and honestly, I, I was a plumber. I'm a, I still am a plumber by trade. I'm, it's recession free. We're not going back to the outhouse. So I'll always have a job. <laughs> but, um, but so, and I liked, I liked the first many, well, most of the uh, first few years of the show because everything was just, they were just following us around 24 seven and they were getting everything and they were getting us going out and screwing around. And I thought that was important to show people that it's not all about the investigation. We're a big family and uh, families have problems, but you know, families are families and you know, and that went on. But, um, I think later on it was for whatever reason, it, we, I had final say on where we investigated, where we went, all this other stuff, but sci-fi, of course, it being their network had final say on what aired. So, it was you know, if they wanted to cut out all the fun beats, if they wanted to cut out any of the drama, they wanted to cut, you know, just only show these big locations. They could because it's their network, which would drive us crazy. But you know, and again, it's their network. Um, but I think that's what really made the show was showing people who we really are, even outside the investigation. And I think that's why people fell in love with the show. I, you know, I've talked with endless fans and, you know, they, most of them all talk about how they missed that, how they missed us getting out there and, and screwing around, how they missed us getting out and jumping on go-karts or, or going out and, uh, you know, beating up each other in a bounce house. That was some of their favorite parts b- before we actually started investigating. So uh, you enjoyed that, some of that, that character study and the idea of people getting to know you. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed the realness, whether I had a problem with Brian and I blew off on him or not. People were seeing it because it really happened and it wasn't, it wasn't being set up. And I thought that was important because that's the one thing we would never, I would never allow was my show to be set up. Um, it was, we, we always told the camera people roll tape because if you miss it, I mean, you can explain to Craig Pelligian why you didn't get it. Um, because that's how, that's how it, we're not going to set up and, and, do, uh, do this thing over and over again for uh, for filming purposes because we're not we're not uh, we're not actors we're just doing our doing our things and that was the initial pitch that Craig Pelligian had always given to us was I don't care if you catch a ghost or not I just want to send cameras with you and record what you do okay and so we always we always stuck to that mentality since you guys were there I mean st- starting out in 2004 going for you know 12 seasons uh, or 11 seasons like but either way I mean. 200 some seasons doing 26 episodes a season yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say doing two over 200 episodes six hour live shows and everything else yeah and doing all that um you had a chance to see other ghost shows other ghost teams like evolve change so just not even talking about the 1990 stuff i want to get to that in a second like you know starting uh research and and investigation in the 1990s as compared to now in 2019. But even going from 2004 to 2016 and seeing everyone you influenced around you, what do you think is um, maybe of the shows that were created in your aftermath uh, that you influenced? 
Did any of them come back then and have an influence on how you guys investigated or how you guys put the show together so that you saw the, like, a little, you know, in the, in your protégés, maybe, you know, at least spiritually, genre-wise, um, did anything come back and you're like, hey, that was a great idea. I wish we thought of that. Honestly, I would love to tell you yes, but I'd be lying because I never watched paranormal television. I never did because it was it was tough because when we went out and we filmed a case, we were we were at this location for for, you know, a, a week, if not more. Uh, it could be up to two weeks, depending on the location. And it was all cut down to 43 minutes. So there were so there was so much that wasn't in the show used to drive me crazy. So I never watched, I would watch our cuts and sign off on our cuts and everything, but I really wouldn't watch other paranormal television because it was, because I knew that. And also I never wanted to get contaminated. I never wanted to look at somebody else's idea and, and try to run with it. Um, I just wanted to do my own thing the way I've always done it. And it, it's great to know that ghost hunters was such an influence on many. Um, and so many, so many shows came out and really helped, whether people like the shows or not, other shows, I mean, they helped propel the field forward. They, they helped us with our, with our main goal of doing the show to allow people to feel comfortable talking about this stuff. So every show had a positive side. Every show, every show had a dark side. Um, but all those shows have my respect. Um, but you were able to watch a ton of shows come, a, a ton of shows just disappear and I think the fans would sit there and watch some of those other shows and, and realize, well, all these people were casted together by a production company to, to make up this team or this group never really existed prior to the show. And, and they understood that there's the real side, which is tabs, which what, we, what we've always done. And there's the side where a production company comes in and, and designs a team for TV purposes. So a lot of those shows seem to fall fall apart and just disappear, which I think was great because it, it helped really solidify the field and, and what we're all about. That's a good way to put it because you didn't want to have to try to compare yourself to other people or see what everybody else is doing. And that's it exactly. The main, the main thing was that we existed prior to a show. We weren't casted to make a show. The production company sat down with us, asked us if we wanted to do a show. Initially, they wanted to do a show with, with just me and me and another person. And I said, it's not about just me and me and another person. It's about me and the whole team. And they they never had a say on who was on my team. They never had a say on who we let go. Um, it, it was always our team. Whether the production felt that they were good on camera or not didn't matter to us because it wasn't about being on camera. It was about us just doing what we've always done. And I thought that was important. Where a lot of production companies now will go out and they'll be like, oh, this person will be great drama. This person interacting with this person will be great the uh, Pilgrim Films never had that with us. It was pretty much, it's the team or it's none of us. You know, as you were saying that you guys existed before uh, the TV show, I was wondering if any kind of investigations that you'd done during the 1990s where something happened or an experience or you had got such great evidence or even just something happened while you were doing it that you're like, oh my God, I wish you, you know, you said to the camera people, you should have been here in 1997 when we were in this basement and, you know, this shadow walked out and slapped me in the butt. Oh, absolutely. We had, we had a ton of that stuff. The thing is that all of our cases, um, 
they, especially the cases that aren't televised, they fall under confidentiality agreements because we do cases for everybody from stay at home mom and dads to uh, congressmen. And uh, so we go in and we investigate and that evidence is always there. And we we are totally under a confidentiality thing that we we push on the client because we don't want. We never want to be those people who go into a case just for the purpose of writing a book and trying to sell it um, because that, that's not what it's about. You're there trying to help these people and also figure out how how these things are truly possible. But we had cases um, – we had a case in Maine where uh, a well-known author, New York Times bestselling author, Jody Picoult was on with us and uh, – I mean and that case was, was insane. We had uh, – it was – we uh, these cases now remember over 80 percent of all claims can be disproved and when you go to cases that we believe that we get sent in by the church uh, to write up preliminary reports on so-called possessions or demonic type haunts 99 percent of those cases have nothing to do with the paranormal but this one case that we went on had everything to do with it uh, we had doors closing a door closed and removed a father's finger right in front of us um and because he had his, his hand on the door jam um, we had a lot of negative stuff going on in this house. We were stuck in this house for four days because we got there and a blizzard hit us. So it was like right out of a horror movie. Um, but you know, we stayed there, we stayed there. We ended up you know, uh, getting a priest in and everything else and helping out the family. But there's a lot of those cases that, that we have had. And a lot of them are, can be extremely scary, um, to the point where you, you're scared for your own safety to go back. But no matter what you need to keep you need to keep a professional attitude on that and never really show that because these people are calling you in as they're, they're not, not so much they're professionals, but they're protectors They're because they're scared. They're scared of their own home. And if you go in and you act scared or you go running out, well then first off they're traumatized even more. And, and what are they going to do after that? It's like calling the police to your house and having a police officer come in and say, Oh, the hell with this. I'm out. And take right. it off on you. You you don't you don't want that. You you got to go in with that professional attitude and with the whole mindset of I'm here to help no matter what happens, and I'm here for you through all of it. And I think that's the most important thing. Well, you know, one thing you said in there is that you mentioned that sometimes it sounds like you said that the church would call you. Somebody from the church yeah. would call you in and be like, "Hey, can you guys check this out first? What what's that about? Well, we do a lot of cases again that fall under confidentiality agreements that we get sent in by certain religious organizations to write up preliminary reports on possible possession or demonic type haunting cases. And we go in and we look for all explanations. I mean, when we're called into a house to do that, we're going through your book collection, your movie collection, your medications, um, your mindset, uh, your honestly doctor records and things like that. Cause if you need us, if, if you're having a problem like that and you need us, well then you're opening your life up to us to try to truly figure out what's happening, whether it's paranormal medical or, or some other issue. So we need full disclosure on everything. And so that's why a lot of those cases are very, they fall under that whole confidentiality because a lot of times these people don't want the, this information to get out. And it could have everything right down to drug abuse, alcohol abuse, sexual or verbal abuse, uh, physical abuse, things of that nature, which of course, when we, when we deal with situations like that, we're still getting this family some sort of help. Um, but that's why those fall under confidentiality agreements. Just like when we work with law enforcement, we get sent in. Um, I'm listed as an occult specialist. Well, okay, but you you get sent in to try to help out help out law enforcement. And that case is 
law enforcement. So there has to be that that whole veil of confidentiality where you're not going to go to the press. You're not going to go talk about it. You're not going to go write a book on somebody else's uh, on somebody else's sorrows. Well, you know, that's interesting because um, I think about one of my friends that was a, a in a paranormal group in Wisconsin in the 90s, and he graduated in police science, and the lead guy on his team was a police officer. And, like, one day he comes to me and says, you know, I don't believe in ghosts anymore. He's like, I used to be really into it, man, but I just don't believe in ghosts anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? Um, and he goes, just all these cases we investigate, uh, it's usually just some kind of, like, abuse. And he goes, like, I, I don't even want to go anymore to the kind of things. But, you know, and you deal with a lot of that. You will deal with a lot of that, 100%. But also, there's those, you know, uh, diamonds in the rough that show up that do have crazy sort of paranormal activity that you, you need to figure out. Now, the paranormal, people automatically, when they hear the word paranormal, they think of ghosts and hauntings. Well, but that's just one small part of the paranormal. The paranormal is is a veil. Para mean is just a Latin word for beyond. So beyond the normal of what we're used to. I mean, an object moving on the counter by itself is paranormal um, until you figure out what's moving that. I mean, it could be high, high magnetic fields condensing enough to move small objects, which is scientifically proving it happens. It could be some other explanation. But it's just so anything that's beyond the normal of what we're used to at this time would fall within the realm of paranormal. Ghosts and hauntings fall within that, but so do many other things. You, you need to think that years ago, uh, high magnetic fields or, or microwave uh, uh, radiation, things of that nature would also have fallen within that because we didn't understand it at that time. It was beyond our comprehension. So when you started investigating in the beginning, like what was, you know, when somebody say I have a ghost in my house, and this is before, I mean, think about even the... Like in the early 90s, like maybe you could get a Super 8 video camera and, you know, and nobody's going to have a thermal camera. They're not the predator or whatever. Oh, that's right. Um, and you're not going to like an EMF. Did they have EMF meters at the time or uh, was it just like you going in there with a video camera and maybe a, um, a audio tape and being like, let's see if we can record something. Like how is the investigation different in 1990 now when you come to 2019 and you've got the travel channel to work with? Well, let me tell you, in the 1990s, if you could get a Super 8, you were doing pretty good. Um, because I, honestly, we our first camcorders were the big VHS camcorders, the things that were you were sitting on your shoulder, and after 20 minutes, you were exhausted holding right. the thing. So you'd be showing up with these big camcorders. You'd be showing up with things like uh, cassette recorders, full-size cassette recorders. I think it was in the somewhere in the early 90s where finally uh, they started having the small little cassette recorders that initially came out on like uh, people's answering machines. Um, so it was great when things started really getting smaller and stuff like that because we were able to – to get that much more equipment and uh, use that much more equipment without being exhausted. But we'd show up with a big VHS camcorder, one or two of those. We'd be showing up with uh, cassette recorders. Um, we'd be showing up with, with other things. We'd be showing up with voltage meters to try to see if, if a voltage was coming out, uh, you know, shooting out of the sockets in, in a, any of these locations as well. And it also helped out that I was I, I was a master tech. I worked for uh, a Subaru and Mitsubishi at the time. Um, so I was I was very aware of electronics. I was very aware aware of uh, certain issues like that. Um, I also had you know, a background in construction and plumbing. So and electrician. So I could look into those those issues. Um, and so you, you'd go in. The, I think the best tools, even back then, even today, is common sense really getting in there and trying to, to trying to figure out what's truly going on 
whether it's paranormal or not. Is there anything that specifically, like in your beliefs, uh, that there is something that in 1990, let's say, because you saw an apparition, all right, and that's that's going to convince everybody that there's something going on. Well, it, it, it not that it convinced me everything that something was going. It it made me try to try. Well, it made me want to understand how these things were possible, and I think that was the uh, that was the biggest thing there. It's like if these things are possible, how are they possible? So let's try to figure that out. Let's try to figure out what's allowing these things to to happen. But go on. Well, it just so when from the initial point of opening yourself up to these possibilities and you're like, okay, I saw something weird. How is this even possible to, you know, 29 years later? Um, is there anything specific that, uh, like a belief you didn't have back then that you do now or open to a different aspect of the paranormal now that you weren't back then? Um, well, yeah and no, I th I think that there's, I think that over the years I've found that, where I had come to a belief system of you have your human hauntings, you have your inhuman hauntings, you have your in your human type haunts, you have your intelligent, which like you and I, after we pass and we're trying to communicate, and then you have your residual, which is just like energy trapped within an object, like a tape player rewinding and playing itself over and over again. And you have your poltergeist activity, which was nothing like the movie. It was more always seemed to center around a young girl who seemed to be manifesting the activity themselves. I've realized that there's a lot more types of hauntings out there. And I, and I don't even know if you can classify them as hauntings because you'll, you'll make contact or you'll, you'll catch voices of something that seems to be living a normal day in its life. Whenever it, it existed, it could have been, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and so they're almost, so it opens up the possibility of hauntings that you really can't even call hauntings, but time overlapping um, as if they're still, they're doing their own thing, living a normal day in their lives, and we're living a normal day in our lives. And for whatever reason, time time seems to overlap in certain areas. And that opens up a whole other type of haunting, um, which we call haunting, but it probably has nothing to do with a haunting. It has more to do with, geez, I mean, we could start getting into parallel universes. We could start getting into uh, quantum physics and all those things. Right, the stone uh, tape theory and recording. Exactly. Well, exactly. And so definitely through the years, my thoughts, my beliefs, uh, the way I view things have changed. They've changed drastic, drastically, but I think it's more that it's just more and more things are becoming present. Now I'm hoping that that's a trend that keeps on going and, you know, there's just endless, endless things that keep on popping up. Um, but yeah, of course my, my thought process and my belief system has changed. Now, have you ever encountered a case like yeah, I like what you just opened up to there because you kind of described the difference between an intelligent haunting, the idea that it's a ghost in there that's trying to communicate with us, a spirit of someone's passed on, and then there's the idea of just the the haunting recording that something something in time just kind of saved it and it's replaying like a record or a video. Have you ever encountered something where you saw a bunch of activity that you couldn't explain, and then the uh, what seemed to be causing the activity, though, was something beyond, uh, you're like, I've never encountered anything's like stand out to your thing. It's not just a dead guy or not just a recording or um, not just a poltergeist that might attach itself to a, a you know, a, a teenager or whatever with the hormones and emotions and craziness. Um, is there a specific case that stands out to you where something's going on here and it's not even like anything like we've ever seen before? 
Absolutely. Um, we had we had a case, uh, I can't get into too much detail, but we've had cases where one case, we had furniture moving and moving around in the house by itself, couldn't get any cameras to work, couldn't get any electronics to work, um, which was mind-blowing to us. Uh, we had a case where a family had actually leveled out this area in, in a highly wooded section. Um, Steve and I, I, geez, I still remember this one to the day, uh, we were investigating and we were in the living room and all of a sudden we heard rattling, banging, clanging from coming from the kitchen. We headed in there and all the pots and pans, everything that were in the cabinets were taken out and laid in the kitchen floor. Um, through further investigation and weird things that we did catch on camera for the family, it took us down a path of, and I never thought I would have ever believed in these things, but it took us down a path of, elemental type activity now these little nature spirit type things we're not talking about you know these uh where you know, people are out praying to you know, tree gods and everything but we're it would seem to be these little black shadow type things which there you could where their eyes are you could see right through so there were like no eyes that we could see um but these things were raising all kinds kinds of hell because this family and to us it, it appeared that this family had built their house in the woods and bothered these things. So that opened up a whole other belief system that I never even thought was possible. I'd hear people talk about these nature spirits and elementals and I'd just blow it off because I had never experienced anything like that. But when that happened, it was it was one of those things where you're just like, This this is insane. This can't be. And it was. And I love that, the fact that, you know, you, when you have an actual experience that opens your mind to something completely different and also something that you might think is, before you might have thought is ridiculous or whatever. Um, well, yeah, every case is a learning experience. Every single case, every every single case, whether there's paranormal or not, you learn something new, whether it's about people, whether it's about the homeowner, whether it's about the client, you never know. And, uh, and people always ask, you know, what's the scariest thing you've ever encountered? Well, it has nothing to do with the paranormal. It has to do with the living because I never know who's on the other side of that door. Um, we've walked into a little old lady's house who 20 minutes after inviting us in because she was having activity going on, she came after us with a frying pan because she forgot she had invited us in. So her problem had nothing to do with the paranormal. It had to do with, with medical. Um, we've had other situations where we've, we've gone, we've been sent in to investigate a location and you walk in, you're investigating and you find somebody living in, you know, squatting in the back room who tries to attack you. Um, so you're holding them down with your foot on their head until the police arrive. So the living are what scares me. The dead, I can, I can deal with. <laughs> um, you know, you are the organization that launched a thousand others. Really. I mean, think about, I mean, just, just having the acronym alone of TAPS, of the Atlantic Paranormal Society, has created paranormal groups, societies, teams, everything across the country. Well, that's a, that's a great thing. I mean, there's such positive aspects to that, but there's also negative aspects to that we need to remember. I mean, there's some some great groups that have, have come out there since the show, since, uh, since, well, and a lot of people had followed TAPS, TAPS long before the show. We were the top hit paranormal website long before TV. I mean, at that point, we we're averaging 30,000, 40,000 visitors per day. Um, but with that, also, there there's a negative side that comes to that. There's groups that get together that get involved in cases that are way beyond their their understanding or their abilities and it puts them and the homeowners in in jeopardy so uh and thank god a lot of them reach out to us find us and we're able to get in and assist 
Well, you know, that, that's, a, that's a, my next question is, so for a local paranormal society or somebody who's just starting out, um, what are a couple of things that you would recommend to them if they're trying to help other people out or, you know, they go to a, investigate a case? Um, what are a couple of things that you know now that you wished you'd known then and you can pass that on to uh, the newbies giving it a shot? Well, I think first off, when I when I started in this field, there you really there was nowhere nowhere for you to find other paranormal groups. But now we have the Taps Family Network, which are a bunch of groups that are like minded with us uh, that we work hand in hand with. So if somebody's looking to get involved in the paranormal, don't go automatically starting your own group. Connect, go to the Taps Family website. Just go tapsfamily.com and look for a local group in your area where you can at least get together with, work with for a while, get get to uh, understanding you know, what's going on and build your investigation method. And then from there, you know, year, two years, three years down the road, then branch off and start your own, your own uh, network or your own group. I think that's important. Don't just throw yourself into the mix and, and, you know, just run with it because a lot of times that's, it's just not going to benefit you. And if you, your first case is something that really is beyond your ability or your comprehension. I mean, it could first off devastate your reputation, devastate your group and destroy everything that you're trying to build. Now, do you remember any cases maybe uh, back when you were starting out where you think, you know, you think about how you do things now and you obviously have your system down now. Um, You had somebody watching you for hundreds of those cases, you know, for double checking. But when you think about early cases and early investigations, is there any specific ones where you look back and think like, oh man, if I'd have known this, uh, or if I'd have acted like this, or if we'd have said this instead of that, it would have changed the entire outcome? A hundred percent. Right down to, uh, all right, so the Taps family. The Taps family group was created because I was contacted by a, a lady who was dealing with what she had claimed at that point was a demonic entity that was that was attacking her every time she went and used her bathroom, used her shower, and so forth. Um, and I was in contact with this lady back and forth. I was trying to find a local group in her area, but again, at that time, it was near impossible to try to find other investigators in an area in Washington State. So, um, yeah, it, it had taken a while. Uh, I hadn't heard from her in a couple weeks, and I finally called over there. And a lady answered the phone. I thought it was initially her, and it wasn't. It was her sister. Um, And I was trying to explain who I was and that her sister had reached out to me. And come to find out, her sister had passed away a week prior. They found her in the bathtub, and uh, she was deceased. Um, And uh, she had drowned in the bathtub. And the fact of the matter is, I I sat there and I thought, that was where she was experiencing all this activity that she was terrified of. If truly something was going on, was it the lack of was it the lack of me being able to get her help, which led to led to her demise, and that was that was one of those things that I still I still sit there and it tear it tears me apart today, um, and that was one of the big factors why we wanted that it's one of the, that's the main factor on why I wanted to create the Taps Family Network because I never wanted a situation like that I never wanted somebody to to be fearful of something and me not be able to get them help. Um, so it was, uh, it was a very crucial point in uh, the development of, of everything we built. And, and you've certainly built a lot. 
um, where we're now coming on a brand new season of uh, Ghost Nation, the first season of it. And, you know, what brought you back to television? Like what after, I mean, you've already done it. You know what I mean? Uh, and you've done a lot of it. So what was compelling in bringing you back to say, okay, I'm ready to get back on the horse? Well, initially I was asked to uh, take the reboot of Ghost Hunters. And uh, and I, I, had, I had been talking with Craig, but uh, Craig Pledging, the owner. Um, but when I found out that A&E and, &E, and, uh, and them, they wanted to recast a team around me, um, I decided that it just wasn't wasn't the right step for me because uh, Steve's been with me forever. Um, he's somebody I, I have full faith and trust in and I can rely on him um, as well as Dave. And uh, so it just didn't seem like the right fit. So with that, I had been contacted in the past by by Discovery, uh, Destination America, uh, Travel Channel and all, a bunch of other networks. I had probably turned down 40 shows from when I decided to uh, stop doing Ghost Hunters and uh up to the point where I decided to come back. Um, and I just, I just kept on turning down the shows because it just didn't seem, it, I just didn't want to go back at that point. I was, I was busy. I still do nationally syndicated radio, uh, beyond reality radio and everything else. So I was having fun. I mean, go down do the radio show in, in my pajamas and, and wake up in the morning every day under the same roof as my kids. But honestly, after talking with, uh, the, the folks over at discovery and travel, um, they were just, they were incredible. They, especially Matt Butler and, and, uh, Jane, who, who, uh, has just moved over to HGTV. When I sat down with them and I told them, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about coming back. And if so, I, I just, I want to do a show like this and get back to basics where it's all about me going to just residential homes and helping out families again. Um, they got it. They understood it. They said, you know what? What you, you've really done well for this field. You, you've helped out this field greatly. And we would love to be able to, to record you guys doing that and not change anything. And I thought that was important. So after talking with them a few times, decided that we were going to do a new show, which was still the team. It was still us together. And because a show, the name of a show is just that it's the name of a show. One person doesn't make up a show. The ghost ghost hunters was important because of the team. People love the show because the team, the interaction, the people behind it. And, and we always wanted to keep that. So we decided that we were going to do a new show, decided to uh, name it ghost nation for the fact that, so ghost hunters, it, we, yeah, it followed taps. It followed us, but there's so many other great people involved in this field throughout the entire world. It's really, even just in the U.S., it's a nation of investigators, a nation, nation of researchers and explorers. And we wanted, to, we wanted to show that. So this show, yeah, it's me, Steve, and Dave, but it also shows investigators from all over the world that are, are trying to figure these things out as well. And we are assisting a lot of them on cases that seem a little over their heads or ones that they might be stumped on. We go out and uh, work hand in hand with them and try to get try to get to the answers, uh, try to use our resources, which a lot of times can extend further than most groups and and get out there and uh, just assist the best we can. So you're bringing in you're working with a lot of local teams. Or you did in this in this new season? Yeah, we're working with teams all over the country that uh, needed extra sets of hands or, or or sometimes an outside look on an investigation because we've had that as well where we've been investigating something and you know you're looking at it through your eyes for a long period of time and you can't figure it out and then you call somebody who's never been there in and 
they they're looking at it from an outside view and they they have their own thoughts and ideas which all of a sudden you realize wow you know this might be the path that we can we can go down and you start exploring that and it does open up more answers for you so it's more about just trying to help out other teams throughout the country because they help us out as well. And there's so many great people out there involved in this field uh, that make up the whole paranormal community that we wanted to also feature them as well. Well, and as far as the episodes, are there any specific cities or places you went to where you feel like you learned something new for this specific uh, season in Ghost Nation where you're like, okay, you go out there, you meet some new people or you investigated something, you're like, Okay, I've been to a lot of these, and this is a little bit new. Yeah, honestly. Uh, well, this first case uh, that will be airing, uh, just a great, great family out in White Pine, Tennessee. And Corey was uh, was a military vet with uh, PTSD. And just getting out there, helping him out, and we did. I can't get into too much detail, but there was a lot that we learned uh, that was definitely different than what we'd experienced in the past. Uh um, but we we have some phenomenal cases like that. One of the cases that you you'll see, uh, we the nice thing we've always been lucky enough that where most groups out there aren't able to work with uh, the nations, uh, the Native American Indian nations, we've always had a very good relationship with them. Whether it's the Cherokee Nation in North Carolina, where Steve and I have actually investigated on the reservation with other members, or whether it's the Mohawk Nation out of Canada, which I have a very close relationship with, and some of the some of the members up there are very, very close friends of mine. We, we were able to also bring bring uh, some some of our friends from the Mohawk Nation and so forth into an investigation to help us out on information or pull up information that people really aren't able to get because it's held in secrecy with with uh, with the nation. So just being able to uh, explore those resources and also bring in friends like that to help out with with things that most people would never be able to get the information on is a huge benefit. Um, but there's a lot of great things that, that we've learned this season. And uh, I think it's really going to help us for future uh, future seasons and just future investigations on and off camera. So are there any new places that you got to go to this year that you hadn't been before, maybe investigating in certain states or certain areas that you were like, oh, this is cool. Like, I haven't had a chance to visit this place before. Well, I'd love to tell you yes, but after 250-some-odd episodes of uh, my past show, I've pretty much been to every state. But, um, no, honestly, just getting out there and uh, just getting out to these areas and uh, meeting these people and hearing some of the stories and also the stories that they might have heard of their home and you go in and find out that this is inaccurate and take that to the homeowner and show them the actual real information. I mean, a lot of people hear so-and-so died in the house, so-and-so passed away this way, this happened. Um, and it can make a fearful situation for that homeowner thinking that somebody might've fallen here and, and died and laid, uh, laid there for four hours in, in pain before they died. That can be traumatizing for a homeowner to think that that happened in their, in their home. But when you're able to go in and find out the real information or, or somebody who believe or who's been told that, you know, 20 people have passed away in their home and you're able to go in and find out that that's not accurate and you bring that to the homeowner, it, you can just see such a weight off their shoulders. That's uh that's relieved. And it's, it's so nice being able to, to do that and help out these people like, like we've been doing. 
Now, when you talk about that, you're talking to the people as, as part of the investigation. When they come to you or um, when they you know, describe the experiences to you, do you find that people are different now that we've had over a decade of paranormal reality television and they may have seen how homeowners react or seen how teams investigate, um, at least according to TV? Have you found that the people who have had experiences happen to them, um, they come to you in a different manner or they describe what's happening to them in a different manner? Well, yeah. I, yes and no. I think uh, there, you're always going to get the fact that people's perceptions of something may be very different than how it actually happened. And the best way to explain this is I've dealt with a case in the past where, where we went to quickly because the lady had filled us in that she was stabbed by a ghost. Um, we went out there we trying to find out what's going on. And it wasn't until we got out there and we really sat down and, and discussed everything that happened and tried to recreate everything that happened that we found that it wasn't that she was stabbed by a ghost. It was that she walked around the corner, saw somebody standing in her hallway, jumped back, hit the fridge. She kept her butcher block with her knives on top of the fridge. That fell over. One came down, went into her shoulder. Now, yes, it, it, it sucks that that happened to her, but she wasn't stabbed by a ghost. It was uh, just unfortunate circumstances that led up to, to what had happened for her. So people's perceptions of things are always going to be different than how others might see it or, and so forth. But I mean, getting out there and just truly talking with them, finding out what's going on, um, I think is what matters the most. Well, and we encourage everybody to check out uh, Ghost Nation. It's going to be on the Travel Channel for their Ghost-tober event, <laughs> October 11th at 10 Eastern, 9 Central. Jason, I want to thank you very much for spending uh, some time to talk to us on See You on the Other Side today. And, uh, you know, maybe the last question is, you know, something we've been hearing at the, uh, the conventions lately is now that you and Grant have competing shows. Do you feel some kind of healthy competition there or anything, or is that something that doesn't cross your mind? No, honestly, it doesn't even cross my mind. I don't think it's competing. Um, you know, Grant's doing what he, what he's doing with with a new bunch of people. Um, yeah, and we're just, uh, we're doing what we're doing. And uh, I think that's the way it is. And you know what? It, Ghost Hunters, I'm, I'm still connected to it. I always will be connected to it. Uh, so to each their own. Um no, but I, I don't ever look at like it. I don't ever look at it like competition. I mean, even when we were out there doing the show initially, we were the highest rated paranormal show out there. Um, and but it, it was never competition. It was always about everybody's doing their own thing. People do it differently, and it helps pr uh, propel the field forward. People are going to find something they love and dislike in in every show. All right, that's perfect. Jason, I want to thank you for your time today, man. Um, yeah, I really you. enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to checking out Ghost Nation. I'm not even a huge ghost TV show guy, but I did enjoy Ghost Hunters uh, for a long time. And thank you very much for creating the genre for us um, because even uh, I think it has uh, made it acceptable to talk about a lot of these things where 20 years ago people would have looked at you funny. And I agree with you 100%, Mike. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with me. And uh, yeah, tune in, check it out. I think you're going to like it because you're able to watch the investigation from really how it starts to really how we dig into the research and get the accurate information and, and help out the, uh, the homeowners. But I appreciate you taking the time. And if you ever need anything, give me a shout. So much of life is dedicated to pondering its brevity. In fact, the Roman Stoics used to carry memento moris around, which were little reminders that they were going to die. The idea is that it's supposed to urge you into action, realizing that you have finite time on this earth, so make the most of it.
My conversation with Jason Hawes, who has been to so many haunted sites and has seen so many things that he cannot explain, made me posit just the opposite. What if we had all the time in the world? That immediately made me think of Andrew Marvell's lovely poem, To His Coy Mistress, which famously starts, Had we but world enough and time. The idea being that life is short, so let's get to the fun parts. In the poem, the speaker is trying to get his girlfriend to make some sweet, sweet love. But this song is just the opposite. It's about how love never dies, and when faced with the possibility that our spirits are eternal, instead of a one-night stand, it just might be the long game. for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time.
See you on the other side. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for listening. This is Wendy, and I'm here to extend an extra special thanks to our Patreon community members, the folks who make it possible for us to keep doing what we do. We're creating new songs, making new episodes, going on paranormal adventures and investigations, and sharing all that with you. So thank you so much, community members. An extra special, extra, extra special thanks to Dr. Ned, who is at the level in our community where he gets this customized shout out every single week. Ned, thanks for all of your support, all of your enthusiasm. We appreciate it so much, and we really do value your friendship. Now, there's a quick reminder that next Wednesday, October 2nd, we will be having our monthly Patreon hangout. And so we're all going to get together on Skype and chat about our favorite things that happened in the past month. That'll be our September hangout, so we'll have another one to look forward to at the end of October. Hope you'll make it there. And it's not too late. If you're not a member already, you can sign up now. Just visit othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and we can get you right in there into that hangout next week. Hope to see you there. Thanks again, everyone, and have a wonderful week.